0: You're listening to News Radio KMAN. Now back to the game. With Mitch Fortner, David G., and Troy Coverdale.
1: It is hour two of the
0: game, the game after work, the game after dark. That's starting to turn around, thank goodness. Happy New
1: Year. 537-1350 is our number. Most likely in the next segment we'll be able to take your calls, as I do want to talk a little Marquise Noel because I put it out there that I felt like, hey, maybe this guy's kind of the best player in the Big 12 if uh, you know, other stats are more important than points and rebounds. Even though he's still scoring a decent amount of points, So I grabbed all the rebounds in the world, but I'm hey, I'm saying I could bring an argument to the table. All right, I know there's some good players in the Big Twelve that are not named Marquis Noel and play for K-State basketball. Mm-hmm. We get to more of that later on. Plus, uh, who could be the next coach of Texas? Names are already being thrown out there, guys, as candidates. Like serious candidates and there was one brought up that i wasn't too happy about but i don't think it's anything to worry about plus number one song of the day and ask us anything all coming up as well we just got him on the phone we are good to go we are now pleased to be joined as k-state football has come to an end in its 2022 season with a loss to alabama in the sugar bowl former cat and lawyer curry section now joins us on the game curry if you don't mind, I actually kind of want to get into the lawyer stuff real quick. Have you been paying attention to the Chris Beard story today? I have. Well, I'd love to hear your take on what is taking place right now. Basically, what we've been seeing is like a legal back and forth between Texas and the lawyer for Chris Beard. Do you have an opinion on what's been going on today?
2: It's 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 both fascinating and surprising from from my point of view, I think. Given the the situation and the magnitude of it, I mean, not only not only the the alleged events um, the, the the you know that happened a few weeks ago, but also um, his termination today. I think it's it's all it's all very surprising. I think you know I I, I, I didn't foresee Texas firing Chris Beard. Um, you know I we, we've, we've come to to know or expect that sometimes in situations like these, that these, you know, that these um, unfortunate situations can sometimes get swept under the rug with with success and ultimately money is the is the driving factors in making these decisions. So I was surprised to see Chris Beer get terminated. Um, the and in, in, in the back and forth has been really fascinating to watch because it, it really is it, it, it perfectly encapsulates. you know, what what this issue, you know, may look like or does look like from a legal perspective. Um, So many times people get, you know, when you're you're thinking about what he's done from a criminal perspective and what that would look like in a civil court, a lot of people conflate those two. And I think that's what his legal team has done, um, probably for obvious reasons. But they're saying, look, he's not going to be charged. So he's he's not done anything wrong from a criminal perspective. You can't terminate him for cause, and they're saying, you know, whether he's whether he's charged and convicted or not does, doesn't impact our ability to terminate you for, for cause based on based on what you allegedly did and all of, all the evidence that we've gathered related to that. So I think it's just an interesting dichotomy between the civil side and the criminal side, and and it's it's been um, you know it's been really fascinating to watch it play out.
1: So, do you feel like this was good lawyer work on the behalf of Chris Beard?
2: I think it's. I think you know, to some degree, probably grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in today's day and age, it's it, it, it is as we all know, it's very hard to overcome the the public percept, you know, the public perception and and, and the way that the events of of you know that the. You know him being, him being arrested late in the night and that coming out the next day, the way th- those events transpired put Chris Beard in a really, really terrible spot, both from, both from just an optics perspective and, and from the perspective of, you know, his future with, with you know, the University of Texas. Um, and, and, and so I think, you know, obvi- obviously with all the money that he's owed and some of the success that he was having, his, his, you know, one of his pro- primary goals was probably to maintain his position and so I think, you know, they've done what you would expect them to do, but I do think that, that there has been some good lawyering on the part of the University of Texas here. Um, you know, despite a lot of the public backlash and the outcry, they, they kind of, they, 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 were took things very slow. I'm sure they gathered as much information and evidence as they could um, related to the incident and then ultimately made the decision to terminate his, his employment for cops and, and, and you know that doesn't happen very often in collegiate in collegiate athletics, and so I think for them to do that, especially in the midst of of one of their better years in recent memory, um, was was surprising.
1: Now, one more question I do have about this this certain situation. I know you know Texas; it's a different state. Things might be a little bit different. And, and let me know if you just don't have the knowledge about this. But also, you know, his, his fiance has recanted a, the previous statement. And, and and kind of taking her words back of what she had previously said when the arrest took place that night when the police talked to her and uh, you know basically just took her word back, um, but yet the the charge still stands. Is what, what do you think about that? Is that is that strange or I guess what's the legal side of that?
2: Yeah, I guess I <clears throat> I guess I haven't been closely tracking that side of it so much. I I I, I would imagine that if, if she is not if she's not going to press charges or if she's going to to rescind you know her pressing charges that that will eliminate the you know any, any sort of criminal any sort of criminal issues that he has it's typically how that works and so I would imagine that that's something that that that's something that will come in the future and I think that was highlighted a little bit by beards beard's lawyers and some of the back and forth that we saw today so yeah I mean if, if she's now recanting, on on her you know her statements um, and allegations that were made on the night of the on the night of the event and, and, and days thereafter, then I would I wouldn't anticipate him being prosecuted for that. And 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 you know quite candidly, I think that was something that that everybody everybody expected or many people expected. Reading up on this shortly after he was arrested, there was a lot of speculation that that you know that did the allegations. Um, would be recanted and that this would end up being, you know, they, they, they would try to paint this as a non-issue. And if you look at it from from the perspective of, of their relationship, and I don't know any of the dynamics of their relationship other than that they are engaged to be married um, and, and that this event took place, they both stand to lose a lot by him getting terminated for cause. Not only does he lose potentially, if you know, I mean, he's go, he's going to lose the money that's owed, the buyout money that's owed, and ultimately, you know, as 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 his soon-to-be spouse potentially, she's going to lose that too. And so, it, it's not surprising for you know someone in the for, for in these in these circumstances for someone to recant their allegations, whether they were or were not true. And and we'll probably never know.
1: Okay. Well, I'm glad you're a lot smarter than me, Curry. I'm I'm glad we we got a uh, former cat that's also a lawyer that could fill us in on these things that. No, no way. I'm going to comment on those kind of things because I would speculate, and it would maybe go a little bit too far. And I'm glad you, you're, you're here to help us out. So let's let's talk cats here. I, I would imagine you d- you didn't make it to New Orleans.
2: I did not. I did not. I wish I would have, but I didn't.
1: I, I guess the part of the game I'd like to ask you about is, I, I guess your thoughts on the decision making by Chris they there on that last drive of the first half, going for it on fourth down. Three times the the last one unfortunately didn't work out close to the goal line, and then taking the timeout when it looked like Alabama was ready to just take it into the locker room up uh, four points, and then the onside kick to start the third quarter was very aggressive.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I was I was perfectly comfortable with with the decision making up and up up to the point where we turned the ball over on downs. I think on that on that drive, you know, you get you get you get two fourth down conversions, and there was. There, it would have made no sense then to kick a field goal inside the five-yard line. It, you know, you were going for broke at that point. And unfortunately, we weren't, we weren't able to convert on that fourth and goal opportunity despite, you know, Ben Senate being open. But So I was perfectly fine with everything that, that took place from, you know, during the course of that drive. I think the, the you know, pr- the, the understanding amongst the coaches was probably that B.M. is going to score a lot of points. And we are... And, and, and we're not going to, um, and, and, and you know, so we need to be able to put as many points on the board as possible. And so, obviously, seven is better than three. So, completely understood that. I did take issue with the timeout. Um, I think that that was us being a little bit greedy. You know, you stop them, you stop them to a short, you hold them to a short gain on first down. There's 55 seconds left. You think, hey, we have an opportunity still to get some points on the board before half. And obviously then that, that gives Alabama the opportunity to, to go down and, and score. I think had we not called a timeout, they probably were willing to go into, into halftime, um, as things were, knowing that they were getting the ball back to start the second half. And so I think we, we sort of, we, we sort of, you know, teased them into, into trying to go down and get some points on the board before half, which they did. And I think that sort of led to a, a little bit of a spiral. I thought the, uh, you know, I thought the, I thought the onside kick to start the second half, see, you know, seemed a little bit desperate. Um, I didn't know that it was. Ne- I don't know that it was necessary in that situation. I mean, it was only, it was only twenty-one to ten, um, and, and and I, you know, I just think it. it you know, it, that offense was hot. Uh, Bryce Young was on fire, giving them the ball uh, on, on our side of the field. Just, I think really kind of led to a second half to forget, and, and so I, I was not thrilled by the timeout call and the onside kick
1: call. Yeah, unfortunately that last 30 <laughs> minutes was, uh, it was it felt like a long 30 minutes it was a little bit tough to watch, but for the most part I think I, I do agree with what you just said there uh, Curry, um, with Alabama just you know, proving to be a little bit faster a little bit stronger, you know, the secondary had a tough time keeping up with those uh, wide receivers and the running back Jameer Gibbs out of the backfield catching a few balls uh we found out deuce vaughn is not going to come back for another year of eligibility after three seasons he is uh gonna try out he's gonna try to make it work in the nfl i do not blame him for that i think if he thinks his time is ready absolutely he's still going to go down as one of the greatest wildcats of all time but i've been asking everybody do you have a favorite deuce vaughn play that stands out to you the most you
2: know, I, I this is probably one that you hear a lot, but but my favorite is probably when he uh, when he mixed up Gavin Potter in the flat back <laughs> in two thousand twenty. I mean, you could you could name a hundred Deuce Vaughn plays, but 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 that given given the background, mm-hmm. I think that was just incredible. Um, you know, you have the you have the the miniature running back who's you know who's just bursting onto the scene, and then, and then you have this. This arrogant linebacker who who you know who decommitted from us and made a, made it a show on signing day, getting you know, his <laughs> ankles. I mean, I thought that was perfect. It obviously turned into a great great Twitter meme. Um, that, that would probably be my favorite Deuce on play.
1: All right, bear with me here, Curry, just a moment. It looks like we do have some breaking news. Malik Knowles, wide receiver for the Cats, has announced that he is going to enter his name into the NFL draft. Um, that coming out just a few minutes ago, he making the announcement on social media, um, which you know doesn't surprise me at all. He's kind of an older gentleman. I think he's 24 years old uh, that he would skip his last year of eligibility to go get it done, but I'd love to hear. I, I know we've talked about a, him a bunch, Curry, because he's a wide receiver, same position you played, but it was awesome to see the year that Malik Knowles had. His, he saved his best work for last, and probably because of Will Howard, who was just slinging a little bit more, was able to show that off.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, what what a career, um, and and an interesting career. I, I think, you know, Malik is a is a guy who came in and was was unheralded uh, within that receiver group. I think he might have been one of the lower rated recruits back in the class of twenty eighteen, um, and to see him come from you know a relative, relative nobody to you know to the player that he left, uh, you know. To the player he was when he left, I think is just remarkable. Obviously, he he made a lot of significant plays in his career, and you know, in, in, in the return game on the ground and in the air. And so, just really really cool to see him to see him grow. Um, obviously, there was there was some turmoil in there. He I mean, suffered his fair share of injuries, weren't able to get in the ball probably as much as he wanted to. I think at one point in time, he was considering transferring because of. You know, know, I think this was before, um, you know, the transition to Coach Kleinman. So just really, really cool to see him stick with the program and and, and grow within the program and become a leader and a really, really, you know, strong playmaker for us. And so glad to see him go, but like you said, it makes complete sense for him. He's put in his time here and really done a lot of good things for us. And I think he'll, you know, based on his size and speed, we'll probably get an opportunity to uh, make a roster in the NFL.
1: Curry Sexton, our guest. So I guess to wrap up here, Curry, the 2022 season's over. Big twelve champs ten and four. But looking into next year, I know there's still some decisions to be made. Chris Kleiman yeah. mentioned on ESPN earlier today that he's expecting all the offensive linemen to come back. So I would assume, you know, that includes Taylor Portier, who was injured in the first game of the year, plus Cooper Beebe, uh, who could have left early for the NFL draft. Haven't got an official announcement by him, but you know, that hint from Coach Kleiman says he stays, we'll see. Um and, you know, Will Howard. Will Howard will be the quarterback, but you know, still some guys that could potentially leave for the NFL or potentially go into the transfer portal. But how are you feeling just right now about next season?
2: Really good. I, I mean, I think first and foremost, anytime you return a, a, a starting quarterback, that's significant. And, and uh, you know, Kleiman, obviously the first, the first several years of his tenure were all Skyler Thompson years, but. The history of Bill Snyder, and I think the history generally shows that you're, you're better positioned if you have a starting quarterback returning. And I think Will, the way he finished the year, and the way that he's progressed through the first three years of his career, I think is poised to continue to do some really good things. And having that continuity at that position is, is just huge, especially with a guy like Avery Johnson. So thrilled by that. I think obviously if you can get your five offensive linemen back and bring Taylor Portier back into the mix, and then and then also, you know, add some of these young cats in there. I think we're, that position group should be one of the strongest in the conference next year. And then, you know, you, you return a guy like Ben Sennett. Um, he is, you know, he's poised to be one of the best players in the Big 12 next year. And, and I think, you know, he's, he's just a special, special player. So that gives you a lot of hope for our offense. Obviously, we're going to lose a lot at the receiver position. And then obviously, lose, the, you know, the, the kind of the heart and soul of the team in the backfield. But DJ Giddens has shown an ability to uh, be an effective runner. Obviously, we've added Keegan Johnson, and, and, and there will be some others that are, that are probably ready to step up in the receiver room. So really excited. And then defensively, you know, we're going to return. We're going to lose a lot, but we're going to return a lot. Um, you know, I think Austin Moore is going to be a guy that, that we're going to lean on. Brendan Mott, there's there's a number of them. I think the, the biggest keys to me, I think we got to, you know, maybe go, on, go out and get another guy in the running back room who can, who can provide some good depth. And then you know th- that defensive tackle spot is just really, really key for me. Losing, you know, losing Huggins and potentially Hints as well. Um, I think it, you know you, in the three three five, those guys have to eat up space, and that's something that, that Eli Huggins did tremendously this year and didn't receive a lot of praise for it. And and to have an effective defense in the three three five scheme, you got to have a guy eating up double teams in the middle of that defense, and so. Hopefully, hopefully we can go out and get a, a transfer or a two at that position to really shore up our defense. And, and Otherwise, I think we're going to really have you know the opportunity to have a special year next year.
1: Yep, no doubt about it. Curry Sexton, once again, really appreciate your time not only today but coming on, on Thursdays this whole season to talk K-State football with us. Really appreciate it, and hopefully we can start this up again coming up in August. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Take care and have a good off season. You too, sir. That is Curry Sexton, former Wildcat and a very, very smart lawyer to help us out with some of the legal stuff with Chris Beard. All right, when we come back, I, I have a couple of thoughts on Malik Knowles I want to get out there. Plus, uh, I do want to talk a little bit of Mar- about Marquise Noel after this on the game. Joe Lenardi's latest Bracketology has been released. Kansas State is now a four seed.
0: And I think the last Bracketology was an eight. was a seven. Seven. With the possibility of moving up to a six had they won at Texas. So this takes into account not just winning at Texas, but winning emphatically at Texas.
1: 116 points. The most points ever by K K-State basketball team in a game. I mean, they did also allow 103. Am I the only one that cares about that? <laughs> okay, I mean, that was a pretty solid pretty solid effort. They had to put all the effort offensively if they wanted to break records. Uh, welcome back to the game. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and Travion Berklin is running our board today. 537-1350 is our number. We just found out a few moments ago on social media. Malik Knowles has announced that... He's going to forego the rest of his eligibility with K-State, which would have been one more year, and he has declared for the NFL draft. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with this decision for him. Would have loved to have him come back. I got him mixed up with Cade Warner. Cade Warner's 24. Malik Knowles is 22, but this is his fifth year already in the program. Mm-hmm. Redshirted uh in 2018. He played in just three games and then pretty much j- just about played, well, 2019 – had a, had a I think was that the year he dealt with an injury he had to sit out a game maybe it was uh, but we do know I mean Malik Knowles early in his career was dealing with injuries um, it also affected him I know in 2020 I think he missed a game or two in 2020 but then 2021 we got what we felt like was a pretty healthy Malik Knowles he showed some flashes so it's showed that uh, also and in, 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 of course in his career special teams wise amazing oh yeah. But when it comes to, I guess what was missing from his game was like big receiving games and just being a dynamic receiver. To me, that didn't show up until this past season. I mean, before this season, he had yet to reach 500 yards receiving. And this year finished with 725. And I truly feel like the, a big difference was, was that Will Howard was the quarterback. Now, this is not, I'm not taking a shot at Adrian Martinez. Without Adrian, K State does not win a Big Twelve championship.
0: Correct. That is a fact. You you don't win at Oklahoma, potentially, as an example. Yeah,
1: most likely. Most likely. Four rushing touchdowns. But I, we just saw the passing game play at its best when Will Howard was at quarterback. Malik Knowles, I just felt like and I this is eye test, but felt like I was getting a lot more effort and getting a lot more energy from not just him but the wide receivers. And before this season, he had one game, one game where he had 100 yards receiving. And this year, he had three. And he had 113 against Oklahoma State, had himself a big game, 108 against Iowa State. Uh, also, I, there wasn't a person I was more angry with this year than Malik Knowles when he had the ball punched out the one-yard line in Ames. Yeah, and it rolls into the yeah. end zone. I was like, man, I was upset because I know he knew better. I know he knew better. I know he was more disciplined in that. And I'm now I'm glad we could just laugh about it because it is kind of funny. Exactly. Uh, the Cats won the game, and that's, you know, that's what helps make it funny. But he also had 111 against West Virginia. I still I felt so bad for him in the Big 12 championship game because he was playing his ass off in the Big 12 championship game. He had a run for 40 yards. He had a catch for 40 yards. And unfortunately, on one of those 40-yard plays, he gets injured and he has to miss the rest of the game. And he was visibly Upset in that Big 12 title game, that that his uh, his game was over mm. because he was playing. The few touches he had so far, he was putting up amazing plays, big plays, much needed plays that set K State up for scores. His catch is what built K State's momentum in the Big 12 mm-hmm. championship game. Mm-hmm. That crossing route where he catches it on the far sideline for a 40-yard gain. That was right after TCU missed their field goal. That was the momentum K-State was needing in that Big 12 championship game. The Cats would get it in the end zone on a fourth down catch by Ben Sennett. I really appreciated Malik Knowles this season. I really did. I really appreciate him for his career. Special teams, he had so many highlights, of course. Um, Can't forget the return against Mississippi State. I think that one maybe stands out to me the most because that tied the game. That was huge. That was a huge play in Kleiman's first Power Five game yes. on the road in the SEC. That was a much needed play, and the Cats won that game by a score. I think that might be my favorite return. You know, special teams this year I thought was you know it was below average for sure. Just one kick for a touchdown. That was a punt in the Missouri game. Just thought the blocking just wasn't there like it has been in the past, and hopefully that's one thing they can really work on in this offseason. You saw the angle kicking this year because texas was doing that and then alabama was doing it in the sugar bowl and Mm -hmm. k-state had no answer and and that
0: and that's one of the things that the way that the game is played now in terms of being able to make a fair catch and still get the ball at the 25 if you're inside of the 20 uh being able to uh kick directionally and keep it away from someone with the talent of a Malik. Uh, it, yeah, the teams just did not want to give opportunities to Malik Knowles or Phillip Brooks. Uh,
1: Phillip Brooks calling for the fair catch on a kickoff in the Sugar Bowl was a bit weird. Yes, it was. I, I don't know if I'd wor- use the word shocking because I remember in the Texas game, I remember Derek Young asking the question. like Because that's where we first saw the angle kicking where – Texas was basically kicking off to the left and just trying to bury it like a coffin corner type of kick where it's pretty close to the sideline, but it's also close to the goal line, but not quite in the end zone. It's not deep enough to where you could let it go and let it bounce in the end zone. K-State wanted to return everything. Mm -hmm. So it would start from their right, and then they would hesitate and go to the left. We've seen it a hundred times. And Texas made a play every single time. Alabama took a play a page out of that Texas playbook and used it against K-State where the Cats did not have a good kick return all game long.
0: Right. And, again, that's so much of where it's changed, though, because of the attempts to try and slow down collisions, if you will, on kickoff returns. We We discount kickoff returns and punt returns now in the game because, well, the rules are structured in such a way that, they lean more towards player safety. And so getting opportunities to actually return the ball are becoming fewer and fewer.
1: What, what I was getting to when I mentioned about uh, Derek Young asking the question to, to climb it after the Texas game, basically, the answer to that question was I mean, do you know how we got back there? You didn't answer like that. It wasn't like anything, you know, You're right. anything sassy. But um, you got Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles back there. They are both very capable of taking one to the house. Um, and they are very good at it. Um, but it just... <laughs> I guess on kickoff, just wasn't happening this year. That, that was unfortunate. But did have the one kick return... Or a punt return for a score, Phillip Brooks. Uh, it, there have been some that were really close... Yes. ...to go into the house. Just needed probably to break one tackle or get one more block. Just didn't happen. Like I said, I hope that gets fixed in the offseason. Uh, Phillip Brooks, meanwhile is in the same boat as Malik Knowles. So has a year of eligibility left. He could come back if he chooses to do so. Uh, I I mean, some whispers is pointed at. He might be like Malik Knowles and just ready to go, ready for the next level. Wouldn't blame him there as well. Cade Warner is gone. He doesn't have any eligibility left. And he's the old man. He's the 24-year-old. Yes. He, He wants to, even though he was so emotional leaving the field, Cade was the most emotional person leaving the field at the Superdome. He did not want to leave. Because maybe deep down he felt like this would be the last time i put on a helmet mm. and pads. He's going to give it his best uh when he gets invited somewhere to uh at a camp somewhere, hopefully he does. But one thing we know do know that he <laughs> Cade Warner in football is not done. That's for sure. He's going to be a coach as soon as his playing career is done, but uh when it comes to the starters, we didn't see a whole lot of depth this year from the wide receivers, so As far as the starters go, uh, probably not any of them are going to be coming back for the next season.
0: And again, this is where it's the interesting shakeout now because you start to see some of the guys that have been in the program five years but still have that one year of COVID eligibility left. And this is part of the fun of, I say fun, but of trying to figure out just what that roster makeup is going to be.
1: Phillip Brooks, aka CM Punk. Nobody calls him that. I just do because CM Punk, the wrestler. His real name is Philip Brooks. Got it. Um, let, let me just double check here on on Phil. So he has played four years, um, and I think he does have his COVID year of eligibility left because his first year, I think he, I think he hit. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he has a couple of years left. No, I don't. No. Okay, so he he has been with the program for five years. And then had the red shirt the 2018. Okay, so he does have the one year of eligibility left, so I'm right. So I guess Philip. now it's his decision what he wants to do, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does leave. But we'll find out. We certainly will find out. Uh, all right, when we come back, unfortunately I wasn't able to get to Marquise Noel. That was one talking point I really wanted to make today. Uh, not a big deal. There is time tomorrow. But coming up next is our number one song of the day.
2: in your side
1: what this is what coaches uh tell guys are gonna jump in the portal listen we're gonna do it with or with ya- without you
0: am i right yeah what round are we on 11 hmm. and trump's been nominated
1: oh yeah from 1987, <laughs> With or Without You by U2, three weeks at number one. Big Steve saw what num- what song I was going to play for a uh, number one song today. He's like, dude, U2 is a great band. I'm like, you know, okay. I'm surprised to even hear him say that, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just, I've never been a big U2 fan. I remember Beautiful Day was big when I was like 13 years old. A little nostalgia there. Desire is, I, I kind of like Desire. Desire! You know? Yeah, this album and Actung Baby are pretty good. Well, this album was huge. It, w- it was gigantic. Three weeks at number one, by the way. And by the way, this is also our 450th number one song of the day. Been doing this a minute.
0: This really. With the album that it came off of turned U2 from a rock band to one that could actually hit the charts and sustain for a bit.
1: Well, this is this was their uh, this was their first big song in the United States. These guys are from Ireland and uh, Bono, The Edge, Adam Clayton, Larry Mullen, these guys, I've looked at their picture. They don't look like they're good fighters. <laughs> when U2 gets drunk what kind of- what kind of Irish are they, exactly? Seems a little tame... ...for a bunch of Irish lads. I don't know, it just... ...doesn't do it for
3: me. The song? Yeah,
1: just U2 in general. This song has a great build with, And, and I've been told, it's like, U2 puts on, like, the best concerts. They did that,
3: um, the Anniversary of Joshua Tree Tour. I wanted to go to that, but it was way too expensive.
0: One of these times, if we have time, I need to tell you the stories surrounding Live at Red Rocks and how that came to be the MTV videos that they released and what all was going on in Denver that night because there's some surprising twists to you too at Red Rocks. is this a story you want to tell me off air no uh if, if it's a matter of it when we have time okay that we can get into because it gets a little lengthy okay well not the most time
1: in the world right now exactly you no know, and I get the people what they want I
0: I'm just pointing out that we do have to delve into that because you'll there's some there are some things to it that are rather humorous and you'll just go wait a minute really give me give me three words that
1: would detail this story that would That would suck me in. (laughs) Well, two of
0: them are Neil Diamond. Okay. And the third would be Rain. I don't know. I don't know if you have my intention. Let me put it this way. The videos look great. Red Rocks being Red Rocks. Of course, the sound was great. The crowd wasn't what it appears on the videos. Okay.
3: Did did they edit it with like a different crowd?
0: No, it's just that the way that they shot it made it look like it was much more crowded than what it was. But they actually had performed in Boulder the night before at a bar. Is this
1: story more interesting than Chris Beard being fired?
0: Today? Well, uh, okay, not no, not necessarily. It's just the it's just the fun of it. Um can we bring a
1: guest on that would give us an expert's opinion on it.
0: Oh yeah, there's plenty of guests that I could come up with on this conversation. There are quite a few on the music side in Denver that I could pull a, a favor from, I'm sure, and have this discussion. But the the funny part about it is for all of that for all of that fame from those videos mm-hmm. that you two got and how they became the hot and up and coming band. Out of those videos specifically, and and uh, it was Sunday Bloody Sunday specifically that that was the trigger. Neil Diamond was performing that night at the uh, at McNichols Arena and sold the place out. That was where Denver's attention was for Wait, a concert that what night. Year are we talking? Not like, you two, like 1982.
1: 82. Oh yeah, they weren't they weren't big yet.
3: No, performed
0: at a bar the night before in Boulder. They
1: are well, still a college rock band, like essentially. Boy, if this was a college rock band in 82.
3: That's what I think of them as before Joshua Tree, where they were kind of more college rock. Huh.
0: Not quite new wave, but yeah. I'd
1: be like, where's the (laughs) Go-Go's? Are they coming up next? Uh, 14 studio albums, 16 top 40 hits, first of two number ones for U2. Rolling Stone ranked them the 22nd best artist of all time. And it is from Joshua Tree, their fifth studio album, their best-selling album, sold over 25 million copies. One album of the year against uh, Prince Sign of the Times
3: and Michael Jackson's band. Oh, how dare
1: they? I know.
0: 1983, let me get it correct. The night was June 5th, 1983.
1: Uh, Let's see here. Um, God, there's not a whole lot that's interesting about this song, to be honest with you. So Bono describes a tortured relationship that he can't escape. The lyric can be interpreted many ways. Mono explained that he wanted to write a love song that dealt with real issues, not the fake ones, like you see in the movies. Movies with, like, Demi Moore. And who, uh, let's see who. That might actually have been a little too before Demi Moore. Anyway, um, Jennifer Gray. <laughs> oh, my. Elizabeth Shoe. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? Oh yeah, there you get it. Uh, anyway, uh, this was in the office, episode two or uh, season two, episode sixteen, Valentine's Day. Michael Scott used this song as background music for his Faces of Scranton presentation. This was voted by Rolling Stone magazine as the best single of '87, and they also ranked it number two hundred and eleven of the five hundred greatest songs of all time. Desire to move on to ask us anything. Troy Viana, I know you like that one. How about that transition? Submit that for a KAB. Ha! Ha! <laughs> ah. All right.
3: What time period could you see yourself living in that's not today or one that you've already lived in?
1: You know, I just joked about YouTube being a popular band for, you know, like colleges or whatever, college bands in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a great argument that the 80s had the best run for music all time. I agree with that. I think I might have been a really good person
0: for the 80s. See, there's the problem. I can't claim that because I already was alive and and living through it.
1: Right. Troy's thinking about those uh, swinging 30s. <laughs> The swinging is it swinging twenties? It'd it be the swinging
0: twenties because there wasn't a lot of swinging going on in the thirties uh, with the yeah. depression uh, going on. But
1: I would skip that phase. Forget about the early nineteen hundreds. It doesn't it- have to be about like
3: entertainment necessarily. It could just be like you're interested in seeing a point in time or. You know, I whatever. I would have
0: liked to have been alive for the the political aspect of things. And again, my interests historically lie in there when I talk about politics. But really, from about sixty five on. Uh, I, I would have liked to have been alive at that point to and and be cognizant of what was going on at that point.
1: But the thing right. is, like cars back then went thirty miles per hour.
0: Cars back then went a lot faster than that.
1: Well, it took a <laughs> we, while to get there. We
0: we didn't get to the fifty-five until seventy-four. Man,
1: people drive too slow
0: now. Think is about that back real? then.
3: I didn't even know that. That's insane.
0: You you could crank up a car to 150 back in the days. In the 1920s? No, no, not the that's 20s. That's what I was talking no, about. I, where did you go with the 20s? No. <laughs> I was talking about the mid-60s, man.
3: Oh, well, yes, oh, of course. Okay. I was like, if you were driving at 30 miles per hour
1: in the 60s, that's crazy.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Okay, good. I'm glad someone else took it the same way I did. All was right. Was
1: there a paved road in 1920? When did we get a first paved road? Oh,
0: great question. Probably had to be in city somewhere.
1: That's a good Google search here. I'm going to Google it. First paved road in America. How about this? this is a good, good trivia right here. Oh, it was in the 1800s. How about that? Court Avenue in Bella Fontaine, Ohio. <laughs> paved in 1893.
3: When was that brick road in Manhattan made? Because it's the oldest road in Manhattan, right?
1: Juliet? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, good question. I don't know off the top of my head. I should. I don't.
1: Where's Nick McNamara? He knows everything <laughs> about Manhattan. He's lived here three years. He's
0: <laughs> off and taking care of some news business tonight.
1: Okay. Uh, do you have one quick one you could squeeze in real quick? Got 30 seconds. Uh, if you could drive any car, what car would you drive? Uh, that would be a Shelby GT. Purple. Shelby is that did I say
0: that right I'd have to go with a Corvette Stingray 70s era yes. that was right GT500 I always loved that scooping front that the 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 curves for the wheels uh, always were a highlight to me of that style oh my god Troy we only have 30
1: seconds left we gotta go <laughs> go cats